Good morning, everybody. I don't know if you noticed, but just a reminder, it doesn't matter your age if you want to make a bulletin cover. So you want to do the front or the back, you want to go back to your youth, you want to get a little creative, you can go ahead and make a bulletin cover and just hand it to Cheryl and she'll print it off. Um, I think it would be great if the kids saw other people making the bulletin covers as well. And you might really enjoy it, who knows. Um, any announcements that are not in the bulletin? Anything that's not in the bulletin that you want to remind people about? Okay, if not, you know, just make sure you look through it and go, oh, look, my family has to clean this week. Which is true, my family does have to clean this week. <laughs> so it's a good thing I'm looking. Um, check if you're in nursery or not in nursery. Trustees, you have a trustees meeting today. When is that trustees meeting? Does anybody know? Six o'clock tonight for trustees, so make sure you remember that as well. Um, trustees are doing a great job. They've done a lot with the parsonage, and they've done a lot in the church that maybe you've noticed or not noticed, but um, they've been a real encouragement to you, whether you've seen it or not. Um, getting heaters running in here, getting thermostats up, taking care of the house where Cheryl's at right now, and doing a lot of other things around the church with the doors and stuff like that, so... Um, it's great to be a trustee, and they're doing a great job. Um, and I'm sure at some point they'll want a little relief so somebody else could be a trustee later and uh, do another great job. You can see the other ministries and events that are happening and upcoming events. And then um, the deadline for the food pantry giving for Easter is March 17th. So we're doing cake mixes and mashed potatoes. For the food pantry so if you have any of those or would like to get some of those you can bring that and put them right there in the hallway okay if nothing else we'll start with singing turn your hymn book to 476 i got shocked pretty bad that time sometimes that static shock is terrible 476 You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase, and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Oh, 
Scripture reading today will be from the 112th Psalm, if you'll turn with me there. There seemed to be some good tie-in between this psalm and the, the text I'll be preaching from today. So from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man will see and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Turn your hymnals to 443. Under his wings, 443. <laughs> Under his wings 
Yes, Barbara. Help us so that others can come to be in Christ and have a safe place to be, and not a safe place to be, but a place to be 
Okay. Absolutely. Anyone else? Bow our heads. Dear Lord, um, we want to pray to you today to help Greg, Greg as he gives a sermon today. Um, we want to pray for Lisa, who lost her sister and mother within days of each other. Give comfort to her family um, in that you are with them and you will hold them and keep them dear. Pray for John who had hip surgery, prayers for his healing, um, being able to work through it and, and just continue to get better and, and move forward. Um, we want to give praise in you and joy and rejoicing in Scripture, the Word of God and His promises for us. Help us as we go throughout this week. We continue to remember that you are with us, not just for us, but to share with the people around us and, and to help interject you in their lives. And please look after us. In your name we pray. Hey, let's all stand and sing our worship songs. Should be getting good at these. We practiced them for several weeks. So, 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul.
song re letting us remind God how we need him in need of prayer, in need of grace, in need of love. In need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me. In need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong, the great I am. This is my song, my humble plea. I am your child, I am in in need of grace, in need of love, in need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that only you can give to me. In need of Christ, the perfect Lamb, my refuge strong, the great I am. This is my song, my humble plea, I am your child, I am in need. song, my humble plea, I am your child, I am in need, I am your child, I am in need. Good singing. And we'll finish with our gratitude to the Lord. I guess they're coming up. Maybe I should move this out of the way so the rest of you can see them.
that song and these kids all up front, makes you want to raise your hands in gratitude to the Lord. What amazing things he's done for us. Gracious Father, we're thankful, thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. Thankful for his shed blood to cleanse us. Thankful for his resurrection to guarantee to us our life with him. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for giving us a relationship with you that we can enjoy, that we can trust you, that we can have the strength that comes from knowing you. Thank you for your love. Nothing will ever separate us from. We thank you for all those things that come in the songs this morning as we praise you. We realize that everything we have rests on you. And we are grateful for that. Teach us, Lord, through your word. Help us to grow. Help us to do all things in ways that would bring glory to you. In Christ's name, amen. There is no junior church today, so stay in here. Probably want to hide behind this. So. So we will be continuing our study in Philippians chapter 1. This week we'll be looking at verses 9 through 11, which would be the content of Paul's prayer. Begin with... Uh, with a prayer ourselves. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to, to serve you here as in preaching your word. Um, help my words to be concise and to be clear. Help us to, to glean the truths from it, to, to affect our lives and our hearts, and to cause us to desire to serve you more and to love you more. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start by, we're going to read again, beginning in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. We'll go through, I'm going to read through verse 11. But we're going to, I'm going to focus on verses 9 through 11 today for preaching. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So in verse 4 of that section, Paul said there, he said, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So he, in that, those verses there, he pointed out, like, in all my prayers for you, he discusses that. But then he doesn't tell you what that prayer is right away. He goes into what the source of his joy in them. But here we find in verses 9 through 11, the content of his prayers. Now, this may is not necessarily extensive of all his prayers for them, but this is the, the gist of it. This is the content. This is what he prays for the f- church in Philippi. And we'll see as you look through here, I think we find that Paul provides a model for prayer in these verses. It's one of the wonderful things about Scripture. And you go through and you see these prayers of different people in the scriptures. And you do well to look at their prayers and say, I'm going to copy that or I'm going to follow that model. You cannot go wrong by following the model of their prayers. So the Apostle Paul provides a good model for prayer in these verses. And you see in this prayer, he's concerned for his spiritual growth and the spiritual well-being well-being of the Philippians. He's concerned for the well-being of the church in Philippi with the ultimate desire that they would become more like Christ. And we see here the action that Paul takes to accomplish that. And in the following verses, we have the specifics of Paul's desires for the church at Philippi. My son wants, if you want a clipboard, Paul, just go get a clipboard. <laughs> so he, we begin looking in verse 9 there. So this prayer, we'll read this, these verses 9 through 11 again. He says in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he begins that his prayer with that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So as we talked last week, Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. His ministry is different than it was before. He is no longer actively traveling on the mission field, but now part of his ministry is a ministry of prayer. He is using his time in prison fruitfully in praying. He's still able to have an impact with his prayers. He remains productive even in prison. And this should serve as a reminder to us of the importance of prayer in the life of the church. 
And it's not that Paul didn't pray when he was on the mission field, and he only prays when he's in prison. But now that he does not have the extra activity of missions, he is now using that time even more for prayer. <clears throat> but he starts out and says that your love may abound more and more. And I know some of you are going to ask me later, so I'm just going to tell you, the Greek word for love here is agape. So that is a love of faithfulness, of commitment, of self-sacrifice, of putting others before oneself. That is the, when he describes, when he says that your love may abound more and more. Your sacrificial love, your commitment, your faithfulness. And most of you, if you've been in our church for a decent amount of time, you know that Don had a definition that we, we always went to that was, that love is the concern for the well-being of others and actions toward that end. And I, I, if you noticed when I opened, I sort of tried to work that into to Paul, right? His concern for the well-being of the church in Philippi and his desire that they would become more like Christ and therefore he takes action and prays for them for these things to accomplish it. He is not there to help them but he knows if he prays that God will work and that is how he is showing their love for them is through his prayers for them. And we find later in this letter that Paul gives a list of the results of love in the believer's life. If you turn to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This ties in well to our study in the book of Romans that we've been doing in, in Sunday school, in case you are in that class. Um, you might notice that. I hope you notice that. <laughs> but you'd notice, that it, back to verses 9 here, you notice that the Philippian church is not without love. He says that your love may abound more and more. It's, so, it's not a case of where they don't have love or their love has grown cold. Um, I think of the, in the, the letters in the beginning of Revelation where he's, Christ is writing to is the letter to Ephesus where he says, you've abandoned your first love. This is not the case with the church in Philippi. Love is present there. But his prayer is that they would have more love that it may increase, right? that it may abound, that they would have a greater love, and ultimately that they become more Christ-like in the way that they love. So often I think when you, when you have love mentioned, you know, there's an object of that love. Right? Love just does not exist in the ethereal. There is something to be loved that the love is directed at and 
I struggled thinking through this as I was working on this. Like, well, what is the object of their love? Right? It's it's easy to say, well, the object of their love is within themselves, is within the church at Philippi, love for each other, or to say that the it is love for Christ. And I think ultimately both of those things are true. But I came as I was studying, there was one commentary by John 80. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. It's E-A-D-I-E. He's an old Puritan guy from the 1800s. But he said, It is love for Christ's image and Christ's work, for all that represents him on earth, his people and his cause, that holy affection which, while it unites all in whom it dwells, impels them to sympathize with all suffering and cooperate with all effort in connection with the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Right, that's a very wordy. These old Puritan guys were really, they can be hard to read for us modern-day people. But I think to summarize it is, it is a love for Christ, and it is a love for those who belong to Christ, and it is a love for the gospel. It is a love for what the gospel has accomplished. So this is not just one single object that he's trying to direct their love to. This is like all-encompassing. Everything that has to do with Christ, all his people, Christ himself, everything that the gospel has accomplished, everything the gospel will accomplish, praying that that love would increase, that it would be abound. But he's telling us how he wants it to increase what his prayer is for the increase of that knowledge. And it's not just that they would have more love in general, that you just, you, you just have more love. But he's saying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. That there are qualifications to this increase in love. And so... that increase in knowledge, right? That love would abound more and more in knowledge. And it's not just any knowledge that Paul is praying for here. Rather, it is a knowledge of right doctrine and of practical truth, of a genuine, a full, a complete knowledge of Christ and the things pertaining to him, that their, their love would be shaped by knowledge and knowledge of Christ, and knowledge of the truth. But the, So their love is not just happy sentiments, but that it's anchored in the truth of Scripture. That it's not just intellectual knowledge, but a knowledge of the things of God, which are grounded in His Word. Colossians chapter 1. The opening for Colossians has some, seems almost parallel in some aspects to the opening for Philippians. But in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11 there, we get a little more insight into the mind of Paul. What he says in Colossians 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, 
bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So in that prayer in Colossians, he's you know, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this is a love that is shaped by knowledge and a knowledge of God, the things of God. So Paul here is linking together love with knowledge. They are not independent of each other. They interact with each other. They work together. So this is a love that is, is not to be mindless. And you can have love without knowledge, and it can lead to a misplaced love, a love which is focused on things that are unworthy of that love. You can, in your Christian walk, and in, in your love of Christ, without proper knowledge, you can have love directed toward causes or actions that seem Christian on the surface, but in reality, those things are disconnected from Christ. And that is why he's, I want you, your love to be shaped by knowledge. You see, in our world today, there's a million things asking for your money, for your compassion, for your love. And, there, and many of them use the name of Jesus to appeal to you. But sometimes when you... You dig down on those things, you find that there are no real ties to Christ in there, or that it is a, a distortion. And that is where this knowledge comes that affects love. It is, are your loves rightly ordered? And he, we're going to tie this together more as we go in, but right knowledge comes as a result of discernment. It is a knowledge that cultivates proper loves. And at the same time, what good is knowledge that does not result in love? We recently worked our way through uh, Peter's letters. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he, he, and there he addresses love and obedience to the truth. In 1 Peter 1.22, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So there Peter talks that this sincere love for the brothers is tied to obedience to the truth. But at the same time, it is... It is a deep love. It is from the heart, but it is, it is in obedience to truth. They are not separated. They are tied together. But he continues the end of that verse 9. He talks about, it says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now the NIV uses depth of insight and New American Standard and ESV both use discernment there. They mean 
essentially the same thing, depth of insight and discernment. But to me, discernment is a word that I've heard more often. To me, <clears throat> it makes more sense. So essentially, we do not want our love for Christ to be squandered on the wrong things. You do not want your love for Christ to be misdirected. Again, things that have the appearance of being Christ-honoring on the surface, but in reality dishonor him. So this discernment, this moral perception, a spiritual perceptiveness, and the practical application of knowledge. The ability to judge things, to look and say, is this a good application? Is, is this a good place to, to apply love? That is what Paul is praying for, that you, that the church in Philippi would have rightly directed loves, that they, their love would increase and their knowledge and discernment would increase. <clears throat> so the discernment influences your ability to make decisions for the benefit of others. Right? If love grows but knowledge does not, the chances for unworthy and hazardous attachments increases. In order for love to operate properly, it requires stability. It requires knowledge. It requires discernment. And it requires the will to follow through on things, which comes with the conviction of knowledge. So this is not just to be smarter, not to just gain facts, but to be wiser, to gain wisdom, to have judgment, to apply knowledge in the form of wisdom. So a love that abounds in knowledge and discernment, love that is shaped by wisdom. Verse 10, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Again, the ESV and American Standard put that opening a little differently where it says so that you may be able to discern what is best. The other translations say so that you may approve what is excellent. It was interesting doing a little studying on this, <clears throat> but the word that is translated as approve here is a, a Greek word that I will probably not pronounce correctly, but it's dokimazo. But it, it pointed to a method of used in testing metals and coins to determine whether they met the specified standards. So if you had a silver coin, you could, you would test it, most likely with heat and check whether is this actually silver and somebody mix a little bit of lead in it in order to try to get it to go a little further so they wouldn't have to, it wasn't as valuable as they claim it to be, right? So this, this testing that you may approve, it's, that is what he's pointing to, being able to discern, to approve things. Is this right? So in Paul's prayer here, one of his goals is that they are able to discern what is best. And it may not even be that something is 
totally wrong, but it's that of these two options, which is the better one? Which is the best thing? What should we be focusing our energy on? When we're, sometimes you are presented with two choices and you have, they are both good choices, but it's to discern which is the best choice, which is the best thing? Where do you focus your energy? To test the things that matter. Do they meet the standards? Some, maybe they're not even good things. You know, the two good things, maybe you have one good thing and one thing that appears good, but it's when you study it, when you test it, you come to the conclusion that thing is not good. That is not worth my time. It is not worth my energy. It is not worthy of my love and my commitment. So again, they test the things that matter. Do they meet the standard, right? And, and what is the standard? Do you get to just make up the standard? Can you decide? Are you the judge? God's word is the standard. That is the determination of what is good, what is right, what is best. And as believers, we need to have rightly ordered lives where things, the priorities are correct, things are in order, where you, you love the things that God loves and you hate the things that God hates. And hate is such a strong word that sometimes when you hear the word like hate, it's like, oh, that's, we, we shouldn't go there. But when God hates something, it is right for you to hate that thing as well. And this is part of that discernment. That is part of their love abounding more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they can may be able to discern what is best. And the second purpose of Paul's prayer here is that they may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So yeah, there's a few things at work here, but you have the idea of sanctification, right, of of becoming more and more like Christ with time. But you even have, as he's talking about, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You get this picture of the absence of sinister motives or divided allegiances, where their love is directed rightly. They, are not, they do not think that they are serving Christ when actually they are not. They are serving the devil because they've attached on to something that is wrong. He wants them, their love to be properly directed to result in them being pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So a purity and a sincerity of heart guided by the knowledge and discernment that Paul is praying for. You, know, you have this, the idea of not misleading or causing others to stumble, to be without blame in leading others into sin. So when you have rightly ordered loves and rightly ordered priorities, it will help to prevent misleading others into sin. 
We are not perfect. We cannot guarantee that everything we do is always right. But as you work to have rightly ordered loves, it will help to keep you from misleading others. <clears throat> and at the same time, this anytime we read the words pure and blameless in Scripture, it always, I have to point out that if you have placed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are pure and blameless before God. Right? Part of this, what Paul is saying here, is he's encouraging the believer to bear fruit in that, to live like it, to, to have that shape your life, to have good things come out of it, to grow in knowledge. But then in verse 11, he continues on in this prayer and says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's praying that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So this is not just simply a request for there to be a lack of sin and offense. Rather, it's when something is filled, it's not to just be a little bit. It is to be full. It is to be to the top. It is at maximum capacity. There is an abundance of it. And the, that abundance is the fruit of righteousness. Struggled a lot trying to figure out and think about, like, what is the fruit of righteousness. Anytime I read the word fruit in Scripture, I immediately my brain goes, oh, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And I don't think that's exactly what he's getting at here. This is, says the fruit of righteousness. So these are things that are the result in the believer's life from righteousness, the righteousness that is imparted to you because of Christ. So character traits that are a result of a right relationship with the Lord. Uh, there should be a change in the believer's life because of the righteousness that they now have in Christ. There were a few verses I came across that helped to reinforce this. Isaiah 32 Verses 16 and 17. Tells us, Justice will dwell in the desert, and righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. So here in Isaiah, you see the fruit of righteousness is peace. It is quietness. It is confidence. The right relationship that comes from being in Christ and what he has done for us should result in peace. Should result in, and this is not just a quietness of like he doesn't talk at all. Like he's really, you can't hear him when he speaks. This is a quietness of soul. This is that inner peace. The quietness is just another description of peace. And then confidence. And this is not a misplaced confidence 
of boasting, but this is a confidence in, in who God is and that I can trust him. And because of that, there is peace. There is a quietness. Confidence. Hosea 10. If I can find Hosea. There it is. Hosea 10, verse 12. Says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. So there in Hosea we see the fruit of righteousness is unfailing love. Love that does not give up, that does not give out. It is unfailing. And then in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 19. There we see it's, it says, The truly righteous man attains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. So you have the fruit of the righteous life being life, goodness. Um, the opposite of death, right? So the fruit of righteousness, and just those three passages, I'm sure there are more if we took the time to explore, but the fruit of righteousness being peace, quietness, confidence, unfailing love, life. Right? He desires that this church in Philippi, that they would be filled with those things. And it's not an instant change, right? This is, again, part of sanctification in the life of the believer. Growing in righteousness as you grow in your faith in Christ. These things take hold as as knowledge increases, as love increases, as discernment increases. But ultimately, he tells us in verse 11, where those come from. They come through Jesus Christ. Right? Ultimately, they only come from faith in Jesus Christ, the fruit of righteousness. Which, again, later in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says, when he talked about all of his, his qualifications, all the things he had done that made him have confidence in the flesh or that he could have confidence in the flesh, he says there, the end of verse 8, verse 9, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Again, this, the fruit of righteousness, all those, the products of it, are through Christ. It is all because of him. And it leads us to the ultimate purpose of his prayer. The end there. His ultimate goal. The highest purpose for the believer. It puts the focus on God, not on the believer. It says all these things are to the glory and praise of God. Ultimately, the purpose of love abounding more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
of gaining discernment, of being pure and blameless until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, is all to the glory and praise of God. The purpose is to give glory and honor to God. So ultimately, God will receive glory and praise for any good thing that is found in us. Because ultimately, they can only come through Jesus Christ. He receives the glory for all the good things he has done in our lives. So not a result of our own efforts, but rather a result of Christ's finished work on the cross and the change that comes in the life of believers because of that. So these verses, verses 9 through 11 here, serve as a good model, a good practical guide for prayers for all believers. Right? Good guide for pastors and elders and deacons for our church body, that we pray for spiritual growth and increase of love and knowledge and discernment within the body of believers. It's a good model for husbands for their wives and wives for their husbands. It's a good model for parents, for their children, and for believers one to another. And I, studying this and sort of come to a bit of a conviction where I arrived at the conclusion there's, there's nothing wrong with praying for the physical needs of others, right? That's often what many of our prayers are shaped by is people's physical needs, and there's nothing wrong with people's praying for physical needs. They are important. They matter. But there's so much more that we can pray for. And there's so much more goodness that we can desire for people than just that their physical needs be met, that suffering be removed from their lives. So don't limit yourself to just one area of prayer, of just praying for physical needs for people, because there's, there's so much more. Pray for spiritual growth in your fellow believers. Pray for love that is informed by right knowledge and discernment. Pray for, for good choices as we serve Christ. Pray for the fruit of righteousness. Pray for peace in people's lives, the peace that comes from knowing Christ. And pray these things knowing that it is a work of Christ when you see the fruit, that it is not in you, it is not them, it is God working in them. It is Christ doing the work. And pray these things and give praise and glory to God when you do see the fruit, when you see the results of those prayers. Praise God for it. So I'll end by praying this prayer for you, is my thoughts. So Lord, we pray that the church in Ripley, that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We pray that the church in Ripley may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. We pray that the church in Ripley may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, all to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Turn your hymn books to 475. Can others see Jesus in you?
Christ Jesus has triumphed o'er Satan and death, and now praise his name, I am free. Although he has gone to the Father's right hand, can others see Jesus in me? Can others see Jesus in me? Can others see Jesus in me? For how will the apostle of Jesus cannot see Jesus in me? It's been a while since I sang this. So we'll sing it all three verses and see if we can remember how. And will you give heed to this message today? And to your commission be true. Are you representing the Savior aright? Can others see Jesus in you? Can others see Jesus in you? Can others see Jesus in you? For how will the lost of Jesus if they cannot see Jesus in you? The harvest is plenteous, the fields they are white. Alas, for the labors are few. Tis far better not to profess Jesus' name if the world cannot see him in you. Can others see Jesus in you? Can others see Jesus in you? For how will the lost know of Jesus if they cannot see Jesus in you? Gracious Father, we're grateful for your love, grateful for your scriptures that remind us even how to pray for each other, remind us of the love that Christ has given us and how we need to express that. Help us to do that, Lord, to be aware, to grow in the knowledge of love, to understand not just what Christ has done, but what that love does to our lives and how then we express it to others. Help us, Lord, as we go forth, that others would see Jesus in us and that the ultimate joy of our life would come when we know that we have loved in a way that would glorify him. So as we go today, Lord, Help us to do that, to glorify you in the way that we love. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.